0: This is Story and Rain Talks, the Story and Rain podcast. I'm Tamara, founder and editor in chief. After over 20 years in the fashion and magazine industries, I launched StoryandRain.com, a digital fashion, beauty, and lifestyle publication where we're bridging the gap between reading a magazine and shopping its pages. On this podcast, you'll discover the emerging trends and tastemakers that matter right now as a catalyst for creativity and through candid conversations with our community of cultural arbiters. We're your resource for discovering today's most interesting people, projects, and products. And we'll explore the origins for game-changing ideas and careers. With our high-low approach to style and the belief that there's magic in the mix, we're going to inspire you to live your most stylish life. Celebrity stylist Worry Vice has 20 years of fashion experience, creating memorable looks for memorable performers and creators like Andra Day, H.E.R., Alicia Keys, and Kerry Washington. The Harlem native is a New Yorker through and through, and I love that, being one myself. He was interested in fashion early on and has sharp memories of his own signature look over the decades, down to the exact way he likes his clothing to fit. Inspiration came from a vast array of sources, from the songs he was listening to, to his very own grandmother. Worry tells stories through clothes, and I saw that firsthand on location poolside at our Andro Day cover shoot earlier this year. His clients have a deep appreciation for the way he approaches their style and the projects that he works on. Worry brings diversity and vision to the table. His creativity, a perfectly seasoned soup of a little of this and a little of that, that produces one-of-a-kind outfits that have a magical quality to them. On this podcast, we talk New York street style, an early job at Giorgio Armani, and being inspired by and learning from stylist legends like Patty Wilson and Misa Hilton. We talk his eye for star quality, first seen in school friend Alicia Keys, his longtime love of and nose for fragrance, and the interesting story behind why he launched his candle line by Vice. We discuss creativity under pressure in a fast moving industry. And I asked him what he'd like to see more of and less of in fashion, and about his relationship with social media. Warry also shares his sage advice for people interested in becoming stylists and the accessories, clothes, and trends that are exciting him right now. And there's so much more. I loved hearing about everything from how Warry sees himself as a culmination of every relationship he's had with his clients to his excellent obsix 6 list of favorite things. Here's episode 86 with Warry Vice. It's so good to see you. It's been a while.
1: I know. It's been since we dropped that major cover.
0: Yes. You're such a busy, busy person. I feel like you're always, always
1: working. This year, that seems to have been the case. That's good. I'm not complaining, but I'm tired. I could take a break.
0: You might need a little vacation.
1: I need sun and margaritas.
0: There you go. That sounds good. Well, let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up, Wari? Set the scene. I grew up
1: in New York City, born in the 70s, raised in the 80s, specifically in Harlem. I was a teenager in the 90s, and there wasn't a better time to grow up in New York.
0: Did you go to clubs? Where were you going out?
1: I did. Obviously, New York in the 90s was a great thing. So I started partying relatively early for most. And if my mother hears this, she'll probably kill me. But who cares? So I used to work in a movie theater on 11th Street and Third Avenue.
0: Oh, I love that theater.
1: It's, yeah, it's the big glass theater. So when I started working there, it was like the new thing because no that big this theater was like the it. thing. Yeah. yeah. So around the corner there were two clubs. There was Webster Hall, and at the time there was the Palladium. And I used to give movie passes to the security guards so they could, you know, take their girls out because the movies were always sold out because it was the movie theater.
0: Yeah. It was like the cool downtown. Uh, you're going out for the night movie theater.
1: Right. And so that garnered me access into the nightclub scene. And because I would work on the weekends, my shift, I would tell my mother that I had to close the theater because the last one <laughs> out at three. And so I was closing the theater, but I really was entering the club. So that's the beginning of my party life. And then that carried on for decades.
0: I celebrated my 15th birthday at the tunnel. So just to give you a little context. So your
1: birthday was on a Sunday night. So you were there on a Sunday.
0: Oh, I love Sundays. Yeah, exactly. Right,
1: That was the time and the place to be at the tunnel on 28th Street. It's funny because I was honored with an award from Harlem's Fashion Row, which is a beautiful organization. And they honored me in that space. And it was the first time that I've been there since partying. But now in that space, you can get an awesome salmon and avocado toast. (laughs) If Uh, you're ever in that area.
0: 90s fashion and now this season, millennium fashion is having a rebirth. So I'm trying to picture what you were wearing, especially out to the club at night, back in the day.
1: The crazy thing is the fashions were so innovative. D- I don't even want to say that they were outrageous. Diverse. People really took a chance and they would wear it. Whatever it was, they were wearing it, right? So you had your girls in their mini dresses, the tight bodycon dresses with the big hair, and. The super long string pocketbooks with their pumps on and a real good coat. And the earring was it. The fragrance was it. But for me, it's kind of crazy. I've always been the opposite of what everyone else was. That's just been me. So at a time where the Chabot jeans being extra baggy and your tims and your Pele Pele leathers, that was a big thing that the guys were wearing when I was coming up. Mm-hmm. And I was a little bit more to the boys to men side of things, mm, the collar um,
0: button to the top,
1: but not quite that. It was preppy, but not mm-hmm. so preppy. So you would catch me in a dirty buck, but I always love to wear different color socks. So one sock might be red, the other sock might be green, and instead of my clothes being baggy, my clothes have always been somewhat tailored because I'm a bigger guy. So there would be that, and then I cuff my jeans and. I was wearing Chuck Taylors and button down shirts with little cardigans, and there's actually a picture somewhere on my Instagram oh. of me, like, a polo shirt with a sweater vest from the Gap. That was my jam.
0: That look. I that- was
1: totally a Gap J. Crew kid, Lands End, which is one of the things, oddly enough, that made me stand out. That's what made people pay attention, because they were like, who the fuck is it? Like... <laughs>
0: Mm -hmm. You know,
1: so it was a dope thing, but I always wore shoes. I didn't wear sneakers until I was an adult. Interesting. So the entire time I was high school, college, I was in shoes. And then I remember my first day going out and I was working as a stylist and I had on loafers. And remember in the nineties and early two thousands, the bottoms of the loafers were hard. Yeah. And I had to go through the city I'll never forget it. I had on these black jersey knit slacks. They were so beautiful. They fell perfectly. I was skinny, (laughs) then, And I had on these red Italian loafers. They were square, blood red. They were beautiful. And I had on a Moreno wool t-shirt. I was dressed. I was ready to work my first day in fashion. And I'm going to all these showrooms. Little did I know I was going to be picking up all these bags. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> schlepping through the city
0: on the subway, off the subway on the
1: subway, off the subway through the turnstiles up the on stairs.
0: the streets yeah.
1: <laughs> so by the end of that day my feet hurt so bad so shout out to all the women that wear pumps and do this on a regular basis yeah. but my feet hurt so bad and I was like, I need a pair of sneakers and thus my sneaker love affair
0: began right right
1: which is a whole other thing
0: right how many pairs of sneakers do you think you have right now
1: easily 150 mm. it's probably like 150 about right now I just gave away about 40 pair of shoes so process of me convincing myself that you know during COVID i pretty much have only worn Birkenstocks. So <laughs> I haven't put on sneakers. And God That's
0: no the thing. We got to get back into our shoes. I always was in a heel and I miss. I think eating. it's different now
1: though. I think yeah. comfort has become chic If yeah. you do it the right way. And honestly, where are we going? Where
0: you know, are we going? That's the thing. Where are we really
1: going? I see people that are out and about and I get it. Socialization is important. That is the one thing that has kind of really changed For me, during this whole pandemic, is the socialization and the way that I would do it. But it's like, you wouldn't catch me dead in the Palladium or the Tunnel or any type of crowded atmosphere like that.
0: That's right. Things have definitely changed. Back to the beginning, were you in high school up in Harlem? And where'd you go to college?
1: I went to high school in Times Square. I went to professional performing arts school. And I went to North Carolina Central University in Durham, North Carolina which is a beautiful historically black college and university that taught me so much.
0: (laughs) What's the big takeaway from those years?
1: There's too many, but honestly, going there, it invoked a different spirit in me because coming from New York, we're New Yorkers. I mind my business, you mind your business. And in the first (laughs) three days that I was there, People are walking by and they're saying hello and they're not afraid to speak. And I'm like, why are you talking to me? You don't even know me.
0: I'm like, <laughs> Making a eye contact.
1: Real stink New Yorker about it. And then I realized that was the way of the world down there. And so I learned to be a man. I was put into some situations. I experienced racism for the first time in North Carolina because mm-hmm. I came from a very diverse high school. Yeah, right. At PPAS, we had everybody. Right. In Times
0: Square in New York City. Yeah.
1: That part. And so by the time I got down there, there was a lot going on, but it taught me a lot as a man. It taught me a lot as a black man. And it was kind of crazy because I was a fashion major and the fashion program there has developed so much now since I've been gone.
0: You probably sparked that off, no?
1: I don't know. I was probably the worst student ever. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) They didn't want any parts of me, but I definitely, I don't know. I made lifelong friends. I can't even call them friends. They're family at this point. Yeah, But yeah, it was a great time. I definitely maturated while I was there.
0: And as you were growing up, how do you think your creative nature was cultivated?
1: Well, my grandmother was the incredible source of fashion for me. We lost her last year to COVID. She was incredible. There was a sewing machine set up in her bedroom. And she would sew everything from the curtains in her room to match her sheets and her shams and her pillowcases to the outfits that she was wearing out. And I'm so sad because I cannot find this one particular picture that I always reference. But when I was about eight, I saw a picture of her. She went to this thing called the Snowball in 1973. And she has this huge afro. And she's wearing silver eyeshadow, silver lipstick. She's got these long silver links that drop into these huge mink fur balls that are white. And then she's wearing a silver and white column dress that goes all the way to her ankles. And then it's just a big poof of white mink. And she just looked like an ice princess. It's probably one of the most vivid.
0: Oh, I want you to find that picture.
1: I have to. Incredible. And in that moment, something about that picture sparked something about fashion for me. I mean, my grandmother had all the bags, all the shoes. She was a fragrance woman. She was a woman. She was very well kept. And that obviously rubbed off on my mom. You know, just being around them rubbed up on me. But in the scene of the nineties in New York, fashion was a thing. Fashion was expression. Fashion was a part of who you
0: were. Oh, that was so well said. Fashion was literally expression.
1: Yeah, like you could go down and some days we'd be chilling on 125th street by the Apollo. And there was a certain style that was there. Or I had friends that lived in Brooklyn and we might go down to Fulton street or my friends in Queens and go into the Coliseum. And there were different pockets the East Village dressed different from the kids that were in Greenwich Village. And then everybody would kind of hodgepodge and do their thing in Soho on Broadway. Nothing like yes. what it is now. I think the oh. only thing that's still there is probably the McDonald's
0: yeah. and the liquor
1: store and the Cozy Diner. Those are the three things that are Cozy been.
0: Diner. Oh my God. Yeah, the gap right.
1: isn't even there anymore. But you convene at the top of Broadway after you walked down 8th Street. and took the A train down to 8th Street and you got Ask off at place. 6th Avenue. At, no, you got off at 6th Avenue, remember? Oh, that's the hot dog. You grabbed your hot dog and then you walked down yes. 8th Street. You had Limpas and Untitled and just all these dope yeah. ass fashion. It was
0: a lot of shoes.
1: Absolutely. And I got Absolutely. all my piercings
0: there. I got my like, right. eight That's piercings. That's you got your
1: piercings and your tattoos. Right. And then you oh, walked down, and by the time you got to Broadway, you bust a right. I just felt like there was so much happening in the city. We walked everywhere.
0: Yes. Spent and, a lot of time on the street,
1: right? Yeah. So you'd pit stop at Washington Park and then continue that trek down Broadway. And there were all the cool happening boutiques. If you knew about them, you knew very the atrium, all the little corner pockets. So fashion was a part of what we were doing. It's always been there, but then it was in the music. And hearing Biggie Smalls rhyme about certain things, because he's my favorite rapper, my Versace, how do you like those it's like, what is Versace? And then you go on this mission to find these things, which then led me to Century 21, which at the time, you could literally get Moschino, Gaultier, yeah. all these- It high wasn't picked pieces. over. No.
0: I had a friend who grew up down there. We knew about Century 21 back in the day. You could find- You could find the
1: pieces. I remember my pieces. first industry party at 17- a charlie baltimore party shout out to rush jones we actually went together and i went to century 21 and i bought a chocolate and tan dng cardigan and <laughs> you couldn't tell me shit i felt like i was the man period <laughs> but with that lowman's and there were ways to get your pieces period so that was the beginning of the triumph and the rollout for me and then i was running the fashion troupe down at college and
0: you cultivated the hunt early on. What do you consider your very, very first break?
1: Like I said, I was in Central, I was in the fashion department. There was a young man named Ampi Smith who had done an internship in the public relations department at Giorgio Armani. And Ampi became cool with the young lady in human resources. And he was like, you want this internship? I can get you an internship. And I was like, do you not realize Never mind. whatever. Yes, I want it. So the next year I ended up interning at Giorgio Armani and that was the beginning. That was definitely 99, 2000.
0: Yeah, so I was at interview. At interview, we're just leaving to go to Cosmo.
1: Yep. <laughs> so yeah, that was, ooh, child. I know. for those who are listening, we're both looking at each other like, who? <laughs> <laughs> totally. It's been a time. It's crazy when you say it out loud. Yeah, Um, but it feels just like yesterday. But yeah, that was my first internship. And I always tell people to be good to the people that you go to school with because you never really know who's sitting next to you. And everybody's in school for a reason, whether their parents are making them go or they might want to be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. You know, Alicia Keys was the beginning of that for me. She and I went to high school together and I knew one day she'd be a star, and it was always a running joke that I would dress her.
0: I love that story. So you see star quality in people, you know, and you just know it when you see it, right?
1: It's become a bit of a gift. (laughs) But other people found her star, and it was kind of crazy because she and I connected. I was on a break from college, and I was walking through Times Square with some of my college friends, and we bumped into her. She's like, oh, what are you doing? I'm like, nothing. Haven't seen you in forever. This is before we had cell phones in the whole jail. So it's like, well, what's your number? Because your phone changed and now I get us the beep, beep, beep. (laughs) And she told us to come by the studio. And some time went by and eventually I was on tour with her. Next year we'll make 20 years that I've
0: been working in this industry. So That's amazing. What kinds of things were you loving working with Alicia at the time? What built her iconic look?
1: Anybody that I work with is built from the inside out. It's all a reflection of who that person is. For Alicia at that moment in time, I think authenticity was a big thing for her and her really just capturing her environment. And so we grew up in New York together the bamboo earrings were a part of that, the thigh-high boots were a part of that, the leather jackets, and her jeans had to fit a certain way. Eventually, we maturated that into a more glamorous version of Seth fashion. At the core of it, it was always about who she was at that moment and how she was feeling which is how I address most of my clients anyway. Yeah.
0: One of my questions for you was how often does talent come to you for a new sense of style versus coming to you to help bring out their own signature style? You work with a lot of musicians and musicians typically bring a lot of personal vibe to the table. I would think that now people are coming to you to help develop their look, right? People do,
1: but honestly, when I sit down with, client, I want to know who they are. I want to know where they see themselves presently, where they want to see themselves go. And we build on that. I'm not really one that's going to force an image on somebody. It never comes out right.
0: Yeah. You know, when you force a look on somebody, that never really works.
1: Ironically, the two women that I work with currently, it was my understanding of their style that brought us together. So, Andra at the time, was into this really big rockabilly phase, Andrew Day, and a lot of people just didn't get it. They weren't willing to invest into following into the culture. And I mean, it was a challenge for me. It was fun. And I really, really enjoyed her energy and her personality and how much she was confident in what it was that she wanted. And so that really made styling fun. So she and I ended up connecting, and she's magical. We've been together ever since. And then for HER, it was more so about the clothes not being a part of the whole thing, but mm-hmm. it ended up evolving into what we see now, which I think was brilliant because she didn't want people to just focus on what is she wearing in her mm-hmm. outer appearance. And we had to understand the music first. and so, once that happened, she became more visible than you have moments like the Oscar.
0: Do you have a certain process for working with clients when you plan looks and overall style? How does it all get laid out? Or do things tend to happen so quickly in entertainment that you find yourself taking it outfit by outfit? God. In the
1: beginning, it's that way for me, unless sometimes we have the fortunate circumstance of having your calendar built out with enough time that we can plan things out. Like I have a fitting coming up and it came with a calendar. So I know what I'm covering in this fitting, which is a great thing. That's not always the case. Sometimes it's like, hey, we got to get dressed tomorrow. We need an outfit. But sometimes those turn out to be the ones that are like,
0: ah.
1: And it's like, where'd you get that? Because it channels something else. It turns the hustle on.
0: Bringing me into my next couple of questions for you. For the sake of this conversation, who are you working with most primarily these days? H-E-R and Andra, correct? Correct. Are you able to work with anyone else or do they keep you pretty busy these days?
1: (laughs) Yeah, if I were crazy, I could. I could take on other things, but I love working with both of them. And I also have stepped into my own venture with my candle company. So I've kind of started pouring into that venture as well. So it's become my third client. But every now and again, I'll step out, test the waters, deal with other people and see what they've got going on. And if it's a match, it's a match. But I just am not one to force. How do
0: you know when it's a match? That's a good question.
1: You know the energy, you know
0: the vibe. Yeah, right. You just have to really get along.
1: You've got to step out, accept it, and then see what works. Sometimes things work, sometimes things don't. And and knowing that that's okay. Everything's not always going to work. And that's why there are other stylists.
0: That's right. We were on set together for our Andrew Day cover shoot, which we were just talking about. And I suspect I know your answer to this. You just kind of alluded to this. I wanted to explore this idea with you. Do you think you're most creative on the fly? Is that when you get your best ideas under pressure?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't say that they're my best ideas under pressure, but it does bring out a different side of creativity from me, which I enjoy. Because then you really start getting into it kind of like cooking sometimes you might make spaghetti and you might just make a meat sauce it's really simple and you just go for what you know from there but then there's times where you might really just go in and really do it up and take your time and chop that basil and chop that garlic and chop those onions and those mushrooms and green peppers and take your time instead of using prego in a bottle right you might take that tomatoes paste and a little bit of tomato sauce and you really. Just cook it down and I just made myself totally hungry doing this, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean. What do but you I'm think
0: like, it is about being under pressure that releases creativity? I was on set with you for the Andrew Day cover, watching you be super creative.
1: What did you see? Because I didn't see myself in that process. You saw me.
0: We didn't have a lot of time. Our time got whittled down. Let's say that. So we didn't have a lot of time. Mm-hmm. We had some conversations in the beginning about what we wanted to see shooting on location. And I just think outfit after outfit, I could just (laughs) see you putting it all together. I think timing was probably the biggest constraint for us that day. We didn't have a whole lot of time. Right. And look after look, it was on the mark. And you were working under certain constraints and you were just making the look blossom and bloom with what you had on the rack. you. You know, and I just saw that at work. Have there been other moments in your career, because you've had some major moments in your career where you were really thriving super creatively under pressure? Can you recall any of those? Yeah,
1: I mean, that happens to me. I feel like every job is that type of pressure, especially in this day and age when you're releasing things out to the world. Once it's fun. out of your hands and it's on the page, and everybody and their mother can comment and say what they want to say. And you have to be built a certain way to accept, receive, or not receive what's coming your way. And I tend to take each job that literal and that serious. But as you probably saw that day, it was very important for everything to be open so I could see. And then once I can see, if I can see the shoes here and the jewelry here and the clothes there, kind of step back and we'll hang the inspo on the wall and I can digest that, have a conversation. What is needed? What are we shooting? How is Andrew feeling today? what am I working with? And then I go from there. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a bit of what you saw. I didn't know that day that she was going to come with braids. I didn't know if she was going to feel like, cause it was a swimsuit story. Yes. Right. But we yes. worked around the idea of swimming at the house. So oh. you might've been barbecuing. And so Mm -hmm. you have on jeans and a bikini top, or you might be in a little sundress because you're sitting in the back of the house, or you might actually be at the pool, but it's a pool party. So you want to look super cute in your romper. Mm -hmm. Those are the elements that my mind went to that place. How many different ways can we tell this story? Patty Wilson and Misa Hilton are two very, very inspirational mentors to me in the very early days of my career. And One of the things that I love about both of their work, which are two completely different dynamics, is that they both tell somewhat of a story.
0: Yes, very much. I mean, I know Patty. You can can
1: find the thread through and through. It always makes sense some way, somehow, even in the craziest of stories or Kim and the One Titty Out. There's a thread there. I I I think that helps to create. I
0: I think you just said it. I think that I could see you telling the story. Mm-hmm. just making sure that the story kept being well, growing up but
1: that's what editorials were as yeah. you turn the pages you got deeper into the story yeah. so that for me in the beginning as a stylist was the goal from page one to page 12 of the spread if we're talking about Little Red Riding Hood are we talking about Little Red Riding Hood and her journey through the woods are we talking about the big bad wolf? Are we talking about all the things that she encounters on the way? How does her basket transform? If she's standing in this side of the woods, does she have her hood on? Is the hood off? Does she wear socks? These are the parts of the story so that the person who's looking on the other end can embrace that visual and then it becomes that part, you know, that we love.
0: What do you love most about Patty Wilson?
1: What do I love most about Patty? I just love Patty. I love Patty's honesty. I love her integrity. She does her shit. Everybody knows who she is, but she just sticks to Patty. She's not messy. She's not out there being crazy. She's always looking forward. And I think that's one of the biggest takeaways that I got from her. Even in working with high fashion designers and things of that nature, she would still go back and see what the kids at Parsons were coming up yeah. with, or what the kids at FIT were coming up with, because they are the next precipice of what's happening. They're the new energy and what's coming and who's in the senior class? What does their stuff look like? Can we shoot that now? Let's start getting you out there, you know? That's very true. And there was always that energy of giving back, but it also put her in a space of being forward. If that makes sense. You know what I mean? I love that genius about her. So I'm always looking to see what's happening. I love to have adventure days where I go out and I see new things. I do love to people watch too. I love to see how people rock their style. Even when we were on set, I loved your shoes. Even though I had my own shoes, I'm like, can we take your shoes? I want to use your shoes.
0: Like,
1: <laughs> It's all for the shot for me. You know what I mean?
0: Like, oh, yeah. Like, you know, you remind me of my interview with Takoon. And he told the story about how Saturdays for him, in the beginnings of him launching his collection, Saturdays became these adventure days for him. He would be allowed to dream and to think and to wander Mm -hmm. and to pick up magazines or go to museums. And I think that's really important for visual artists and creatives is to give them some space to get that inspiration, right? Yeah. time and the space. I love to hear about the fact that you're like, I just went on an adventure day the other day. What do you love about working within the fashion industry and what not so much?
1: The fashion industry has changed a lot. The fashion industry has changed a lot. It was a lot more
0: fashion. It was a lot more
1: creative. There were less components. So you didn't have to high had its market, low had its market, bridge had its market. Everybody was doing their own thing. And now I feel like the great competition has started where the lower end designer is doing a thing and that might take traction and become viral. And now all of a sudden, Bridge is copying that because they want to get their sales at Macy's and Bloomingdale's and so on and so forth. And then Saks wants to be a part of that too. So now everybody's creating one version or a version of one thing where before Betsy Johnson was offering what she was offering, Chanel was offering what they were offering, and the two had nothing to do with each other.
0: Yes, yes.
1: For me, that has changed and shifted a little bit. It's not as fun Mm -hmm. as it could be. I think fashion is big business right now. Mm -hmm. That is a different standpoint. But I think it can be fun if you make it fun. I see people out here, myself included, there are times where we jam and we have a moment with it, but there's also times where fashion is business. And I think that social media has affected that to allow it to be business.
0: I asked, a lot of guests on the podcast about social media and how they would describe their relationship to social media how do you feel about social media how do you describe your relationship to it and a lot of people are super honest and they're like it's love hate i think a lot of people who are in the visual arts it becomes part of your job and like you said maybe some of the fun is taken out of it remember we used to carry cameras everywhere remember you snapping pictures of everything right and i
1: still do I think social media is a tool. It's just like a hammer, a wrench, screwdriver. What are you going to do with it? Certain things do certain things. I think certain people rely on social media. Too much. And then there are those who use it for elevation. There are those who use it for sales. There are those who use it for public relations. And it may not be taken so serious or that becomes a job. I mean. Social media jobs have become quite the thing these days. So I think it's all subjective. I think it's all up to the person and what you're choosing to divulge and expose yourself to. Very true. There's a lot of shit happening on social media right now. (laughs) (laughs) That says it all. I think it's all up to the person. Like, what are you looking at? Yeah. I can tell you right now, if we go to my explore page based on what I've been looking at lately, there's food. <laughs> there are babies. Oh. There are dogs. Oh. And then I'm there surprised
0: are surprised some... by a couple of those.
1: No, why? No. I love them. I don't babies. know.
0: I maybe not babies that are I they look
1: just... cute and they make you smile. I just never
0: cute. thought about social media like that
1: because i'm so addicted and i'm always checking to see so what i've done now is i'll check in on what i feel like i need to check in on oh and
0: then, and then pepper if I go, and the
1: yeah and then that way if i'm going down the rabbit hole because now we've added reels and igtv <laughs> and there's so much information and now you've coupled that with citizen app and this app and that app and it can be information overload so when i see myself going down the rabbit hole I'll just jump on a thread of babies and watch them coo and laugh and enjoy their innocence and just refill my energy in that way. Or watch the dog slip across the floor. Or there's like this silly challenge where people, they make the sound like they're biting the animal's ear and the animals are like reacting to like, did you just bite me? But it's the funniest shit ever. And I just absorb it, you know? I love that. And, that and, you know, just trying to keep some positivity out there. Because we've seen a lot of shit in the past year.
0: That's right.
1: And it was a thing where I was just like, uh, either I've got to get rid of this altogether, or I've got to switch up the trajectory, because this is a lot.
0: One of the reasons why I refused to add that Citizen app. I have been holding out, and I'm I- had
1: it for one day. You I to go.
0: <laughs> I can't be that person. Citizen
1: app um. had to go, period. Yeah. I Thank was you. like, what the fuck? they're beating up somebody around the corner.
0: What? <laughs> somebody
1: just got their bags though. The fuck is this? No. So it had to go. I was yeah. like, I can't be on edge 24 yeah. seven. I'm
0: good. <laughs> How do you process or juggle the job at hand and what needs to be accomplished? in terms of satisfying working with all the people and all the players and personalities involved when you take on a job. What's your take on the politics? There's the creative part of the job and there's the job of all these people in a room and all these people that need to be satisfied. Yeah,
1: I'm grateful to my manager and agent because he knows me very well. (laughs) So it's kind of like having a filter over my life. He knows that I'll say yes, no, maybe so too. So it kind of tails the conversations first. And also, you know, it just allows me to stay in a creative space because there is art and there is commerce, but it's easier to have that conversation with one person rather than a room full of people. Well
0: said, well said. So
1: that's the person that I trust and I know I can go to and we can deal with business and go from there.
0: What do you think your clients value in you the most?
1: The energy that I bring to work. I think they value the energy and what we do and how we do it. I'm very understanding. One of the things that I learned very early on with Alicia is when we're in fittings and we're having that time with each other, it's A, a, a very personal space. we yeah. are changing clothes. It's a very exposed area. But also someone is preparing themselves to go in front of the world. You and I don't and know tell a story. story right? You're telling a story, but at the same time, it's like, Somebody's literally changing to go in front of, you might be going to perform in a stadium full of people. Right. Nobody's looking at me. Nobody cares what I look like. You know, I want to make sure that this person is feeling the best. And that's why I always start from the inside out.
0: You've worked with all sorts of people, creative talent over the years. Who has left an impression on you in terms of their own creativity and talent? When you think about that, are there certain people and moments that come to mind?
1: I am currently a culmination of every woman and man that I've ever worked with. Each one has taught me something different, good and bad. I've learned something from everybody. It's interesting because my job is very collaborative. So you get together with other artists and they're going to bring their visions and ideas of shades of pink that I may have never seen, or I definitely know what I do in my world. And I think it's important that I bring those levels of expertise to the table. And then it becomes, it's more of a dancing conversation with me. It's like, oh, so you're thinking this, well, I saw this, how do you like this? And they'll say, well, I like this. It's it's more that with me. It's more of a collaborative effort. I just feel like Once people can build themselves up and you get to this incredible space of beauty that just emanates. Andra, for example, the Oscars, I had a whole other, my mind was somewhere else.
0: Have you talked about this, about where your mind was and what the look was supposed to be? Well, I've been
1: waiting for her to get to the Oscars for this moment for so long. And it's kind of like when a woman gets married and, As a child, the fairy tale dress might be big as shit, and it's got the (laughs) longest train and the biggest veil, and you want the bells and whistles. Right, we have
0: arrived, we are here.
1: The traditional mindset is that that's what it should look like, because that's what a wedding feels like. So in my mind, you know, her Oscar moment was huge, and there was so much tool and a thing and a thing and a thing. And... For the longest time, as her stylist, because we went through that rockabilly phase, and she's such a fan of past eras, my dream was to go into Lily Et Cie and go through their archives and find some amazing 1950s or 40s dress that, yeah that could have been something exactly like what Billy did. However. In a phone call, Edra called me and she had on like this two piece gold mini skirt and this top that didn't have a back. And she was like, I want to wear this to the Oscars. <laughs> One thing about my girl is that if she says it, she pretty much means what she's saying. So you've got to find what she's saying because it's like when she that's the, the beauty oscar,
0: of you you flesh that out right and
1: we did and we went through several different designs and conversations and it was a lot of back and forth until we found a way to really make it oscar worthy and beautiful and chic and for me with her she told us she was gonna lay on the floor at the oscars we all thought she was joking then she did it so it was like You've got to rise to the occasion and figure this out. But she's really going to wear this mini skirt and this bag that's topped to the Oscars.
0: How did you end up finding that piece that she did wear to the Oscars? It was custom, wasn't it? Or no?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was custom made for her by Vera Wang. It was a beautiful welded gold dress, chain links, little links that came together and made that dress, which just effortlessly fell on her body, but it actually was real links. of
0: it was metal. metal. I have to say, I love hearing the story from you about what you had envisioned, the Lillie Tool. When I saw that look on her come down the carpet, I was like, they nailed it. It was just nailed. It was that perfect amalgamation. It had that Oscar quality. This is who she is. There was a little bit of a mix of everything there. And it just seems so well thought out to me. Thank you. You talked about having adventure days, but are there any other ways where you personally get inspired? I know it can be hard when you're working all the time, but what kinds of things and kinds of I
1: love documentaries. Documentaries are my jam. They are my books. And I do love to read I look for inspiration in history, and I look for inspiration in things that are around me. So it all just depends on what's really happening. I don't know. It depends on what mood I'm in. I just finished watching the documentary called Blood Brothers with Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali on Netflix. And just the idea of their relationship, but just even watching their fashions. Their wives' fashions. I find little things in little places.
0: Yeah, I'm making it a point to watch more documentaries lately for that very reason. Do you record your ideas anywhere for your clients? Do you keep a notebook or put things down in a phone?
1: No, it's all in my head.
0: (laughs) What do you want to see more of in fashion?
1: It's one word, creativity.
0: And what do you want to see less of?
1: Duplication.
0: What do you wish for in a client? If you were to think about it, generally speaking, taking on a new client, what are the things that you wish for in a client? I don't
1: know that I wish for anything in a client. The two women that I work with are beautiful. So whoever's working with me energetically, they'd have to fall into line with that. Because I'm at a certain age and place in my career where I'm not agitating the energy. I'm not doing anything that's going to have me going crazy Those days are over. Either we're working and we're working in a way that is flowing
0: or we're just not. And we're here for a reason or we're not. Correct. Um, Like I said, I'm almost
1: 20 years into this. So
0: so in a creative team or a job, same thing. You just want to feel like the project resonates.
1: Yes. I do things that align with my spirit and my energy. We've all had those times where you've walked on set and you're like, why the fuck am I here? What am I doing here? What is this? And those are the things that if I know and feel within my own energy, it's like, that's not for me. There's been a couple of jobs that have come across my desk and I'm like, I know that money will be crazy. The exposure from it will probably be crazier. But I know energetically I'm probably going to lose my mind. So why bother?
0: Have you always been intuitive or have you learned in this work to hone your intuition about this kind of thing?
1: I've always had a strong gift of intuition, but I've learned to listen to my intuition as I've gotten older. Because every time I ignore it, then something gets fucked up and I'm not doing what I was supposed to do.
0: It actually is New York Fashion Week right now. We both, I've said it myself, the industry has changed. Fashion Week has definitely changed. I'm just curious what accessories and clothing and trends are exciting you right now. And also part two to that question is how has the style you create for clients evolved? Are there certain things you gravitate toward now when you're styling? Generally speaking, what are you gravitating toward? Are you into accessories more than ever or is something piquing your interest in fashion?
1: I don't know. I'm such a by basis person. I'm really into socks and hosiery these days. (laughs) I love- I'm loving the layering, especially for fall. I'm loving the idea of layering and bringing that hosiery back. I want to see women use their femininity in that way. And I'm just sucker for a great hoop earring. I love the earrings that you have on right now.
0: These are old Chloe runway earrings that were left in our Cosmo fashion closet.
1: Well, there's that and then minimal jewelry, but stacked and layered. I love to see things. I mean, you can obviously yeah. see that, but- Yeah. It's all about little pieces that come together that tell a story. I'm all about the details that tell the big story. So this season, I feel like those are the things. You'll see the oversized purse, which is a big thing right now. But then if you look at the woman's hands, there's little tiny trinkets of jewelry that are just delicately placed there to hold this big thing. It's the little things that
0: matter to me. How did the idea for your candle collection come about? You said you were taking the time now to cultivate that business. How did it come together? What was the catalyst for that?
1: So the Buy Vice Candle line was birthed from me being with my agent in the Dominican Republic for four months with <laughs> quarantine curfew. What uh, were you
0: working on? Can I wasn't say...
1: working on anything. Oh. was saved my mind. I was- <laughs> You were just in DR hanging. Okay. Yeah. It, I mean, not necessarily hanging. I'd more so say it was surviving, but yeah, mm-hmm. I New York was a complete shit show. So I had gone down for vacation and kind of wild because in the moment you watch TV and America was on fire between the race riots and George Floyd, God bless his soul, and Breonna Taylor. Every day there was something else happening. Every day. And in New York, we live in apartments. And I was like, why would I leave the beach to go be in an apartment? And I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. And I'm watching this imagery and I'm feeling enclosed. It wasn't a great thing. And the one thing that we both agreed that the world needed literally and figuratively was light. And I was like, well, I can't create a light bulb, but... I think with people being home, they can burn something that makes them feel confident, makes them feel comfortable, makes them feel at ease. I am a lover of fragrance. I feel Um, like
0: that started with your grandmother. You said she was a big fragrance person. Absolutely. What did she wear? What did your grandma smell like?
1: My grandmother, she used cashmere bouquet Mm. soap in the bathtub, which had a very floral scent to it it was like a clean flower and then her deodorant was soft and dry Soft, and she used Kerry lotion on her skin and then there was this pink lotion called lusters pink lotion for your hair and the two of those made a specific scent and then on her fragrance she either wore estee lauder pleasures she wore carolina herrera back when it was a white box with black polka dots and yellow writing.
0: Oh yeah, right.
1: They don't make it anymore, but that was Uh-oh. a very specific fragrance. And she also wore Tiffany & Co. That's when you know she was going somewhere really special because that bottle was your yeah. perfume. It was small, it was expensive. And she literally would do this and you could smell it for the rest of the night. So she had a very soft but present smell, which is my jam right now. But that was what we poured into
0: the candles. I Um, didn't know this story behind the candles. I love that story. How long did it take you to figure it all out? We started working on it probably
1: in May or June. It was jokingly said. And then we started to really get into it and create. And then we launched Christmas of 2020. They've been selling. People actually enjoy them. I think what happens is sometimes candles can be overwhelming, but these are beautiful soy wax candles that burn up to 80 hours and they just create an element. It's not Andra like- Laura was
0: raving about them, raving about them. When I <laughs> yeah, saw Andra, she's like, my entire family is burning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I need one of my own.
1: They're secret weapons. You can burn it. And it's like, what is that? What's that in the air that smells really good? It's not a pal, you know? Some bourgeois candles can be really, really fragrant. There's a candle that I love, but I can't burn it for a long period of time. It starts to agitate my nose. So this is different. We're working with like I said, hundred percent soy wax and the fragrance is, is beautiful. And there are seven different versions that, you know, people can pick up now.
0: That's great. We're going to definitely lift some in the show notes of this podcast. Are you rolling out anything new? That's a lot of sense, actually.
1: It is. So what happens is we release them in sets of three, and then there's always a specialty candle in the middle of the three sets. So once a set is gone away, it's gone. Ooh. So one, two, and three, I think we're at the end of that one. It sold out and we replenished it because it went away so fast. And it was like, wait, people actually like a lot. So we brought it back, but we just introduced five, six, and seven. And number four, which was a limited edition, that sold out immediately as well. So we've got room sprays that are coming up for the holiday season. We took two of our favorite smells and we created room sprays for them. Oh. And she's been such a great support and I'm so grateful for her because she literally <laughs> I was just showing her, we're going to do that next. And she's like, yeah, no, I'm going to take that bottle from you because I need it. <laughs> and I'm like, so I'm like, this is a tester. And she's like, yeah, I know.
0: It's so funny. You reminded me, we were on set and I forgot what was happening, but she was like, no, I need these shoes now. And you see the authentic love and passion she has for something. She's like, oh, I need this. I have, to have this. What is on your career bucket list? You've done so much, but is there anything on the bucket list that you think about?
1: That's a good question. Honestly, I can't answer that question right now. Every time I get to a place where I've set goals, reach the goals, I've got to set new goals. Currently, I'm in the process of setting new goals. What does the next situation look like for me in here and here? So, I get that
0: answer. I get that. What advice do you have for stylists who want to be you? And there are a lot of them out there.
1: Well, you could never be me. So be yourself, start there. And continue to work hard. Let your nose turn into positive inspiration and not your nose physically on your face, but the nose that you may receive from people. Pay attention, do your research, understand what you're getting into. There's so many different variations of being a stylist. You could be e-commerce, there's catalog, there's celebrity, there's editorial. Do your research and don't just bring yourself to one place and hold yourself down to one thing. Be versed and figure that out before you get to your next place and space of where you want to
0: go. That's such great advice, Worry. Okay, lastly, let's wrap up. And I'm dying to hear what your six current obsessions are. What's on your six list? What are you into these days?
1: So obviously the first thing that I'm into are my own candles. (laughs) Which one is the fave? My favorite candle. And thank you. Because I was like, if she really gets it, she'll ask me which one. I think I
0: asked you this before. Number
1: six is my go-to, my jam, my nose. It's a little bit of leather, and there's black oud and rose, and it's tough but soft. It's very me. And, of course, you can get those at Vice by Vice. The other obsession of mine is this stuff called Trufflin. Trufflin? Yeah, Trufflin is a Black-owned truffle business here in New York. Oh, my God. Yeah, they've got everything from caviar to, black <gasps> Argentin- like, you can get your fix of truffles there. And they do restaurants, but you can get your truffles for at home, your oils, your salt. I literally put truffle on everything. So they're one of my faves as well. It's just a truffle company.
0: What do you buy from them that you love the most?
1: Well, I have my truffle oil over there. Uh-huh. I love everything truffle, so I can't yeah. even. That's my go to. So they're I love the it. obsession. They are the obsession. The I love it. I love it.
0: I love it. But they've got truffle barbecue
1: sauce and truffle hot sauce and truffle ranch dressing. It's a thing.
0: Wow. They have truffle um, everything. That's so good to know.
1: Yeah. So if you're into truffles like I am, yeah.
0: I mean, I have truffle hot sauce in my refrigerator, but.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I mean, um, I want
0: all the sauces. That's amazing. Exactly.
1: So then I recently have. Gotten off of my COVID kick of couching, as I call it, and I'm currently back into getting my health and nutrition together. So, Strength for Nutrition is a vitamin company. I love. They have enzymes that I take in the morning. They have amino acids for energy, and they're vitamins. They're not hella jittery vitamins. They're just really good dope solid vitamin. Is it
0: one multivitamin that you take?
1: There's a multivitamin for men, a multivitamin for women, but there's a whole system. Are you doing the you system? You can get your greens, you can get your super reds. There's all the things that you can put literally into one drink to swallow the pill and keep it
0: moving. You're kidding. That's amazing.
1: So it's really good. That's my jam. And then a friend of mine started an underwear company, Nym Sports. So they do sportswear and stuff, but I actually love their underwear. The fabric is super silky and smooth on the skin, but they're odorless underwear. So there's something that they put in the technology that captures your smell. So on a hot summer's day or...
0: Anybody knows about undergarment underpinnings is this person right here. Oh, yeah.
1: And they feel good to the skin. They hold me in where I need to be held. And, And I can walk away from the day and peel out and still feel fresh. And then... I love, 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 obsessed. He just sent me some new shoestrings from Aglet, Italy. It's a shoelace company. Well, they do accessories, but they do designer shoelaces. So oh my you God, can, I'm
0: so into shoelaces.
1: Oh, no, you totally should check them out. He'll custom make Prada and Gucci. He takes scarves and he's really, really super innovative. There's a guy named Star. And he's the creative director and one of the owners. And he took the brand and made it something special. So leather shoelaces and all different sorts of things can be done with shoelaces. And you'd be surprised how it actually changes a shoe. Oh, so it's one of my it. current obsessions. He just sent some new styles over that I'll be putting into my Rick Owens boots later.
0: Love that.
1: And my last thing is New de Cellophane. It's my constant fragrance
0: That's by Serge life.
1: Luton. Oh my
0: God. I love that. I love that fragrance. It's so funny. It almost brings me back to that grandmother conversation of the one I use. Scaring leaf. I love that you like that scent too. Like. I parse it out like it's gold. I'm like, let me put a little (laughs) for a special occasion.
1: Oh, I have bottles of it. Yeah.
0: Don't tell me it's discontinued.
1: No, 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 no. Not discontinued. You're a scent
0: aficionado. Oh,
1: I am. I'm a scent snob. <laughs> I now. so you know what that smells like it's clean it's beautiful
0: it's nostalgic in a way yeah it has like a nostalgia to it
1: that's exactly why i love it
0: worry it was so good to catch up with you this way thank, thank you so much you. for your time and for being on the thank podcast you. always always great to I talk to you it.
1: you as well talk to you soon